I'm Afshin Ratansi, and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from the UAE. It's been just over a month since Israel failed to prevent massive Palestinian resistance retaliation for decades of slaughter in Gaza. The response from Tel Aviv is thousands of children killed by a NATO nation-backed multi-billion dollar military-industrial complex. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned the world not to treat the atrocities of October the 7th as if they happened in a vacuum. And no historian has done more to explain the context of mass murder in Palestine than Professor Ilan Pape, director of the European Centre for Palestinian Studies at the University of Exeter and author of The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. He's in Haifa, partitioned from Palestine by the UN in 1947. Professor Pape, thank you so much for coming on again on uh, Going Underground. Last time you were on uh, for a book that probably educated uh, so many of those demonstrating in those NATO nations against what's happening in the Middle East right now. I've got to really begin by asking you why the lack of compassion across Israel for Gaza. I know a lot of the images are censored in NATO nations, presumably in Israel as well, but why the lack of seeming compassion for what the rest of the world is seeing uh, Israel's troops do to Gaza? Uh. Thank you for having you once again, having me once again on your on your program. Uh, I, I think that uh, there's nothing new uh, in the way and the lack of compassion, as, as you say. I mean, I've been experiencing it uh, long before the 7th of October. If I try to speak with Israelis just on the human side of the uh, catastrophe of 1948, I fail to see any compassion. I remember the the attack on Gaza in 12, uh, 2014 with uh, then quite a high uh, number of children killed and I couldn't uh, uh, extract any compassionate uh, reaction from most of the Israeli Jews I knew and definitely there was no compassion conveyed through the main uh, media or through the, the discourse of the politician. Why is it happening? I think this has a lot to do with the nature of, of Zionism as a settler colonial movement. Uh, I mean, you have to go to the origins and, and, and like many other settler colonial movements, like the ones that established the United States uh, and Australia, uh, for instance, in order to get rid of the native indigenous population, you had to dehumanize them first and foremost. And, and there's nothing new in the way uh, Israelis uh, perceive most of the Palestinians, even the young ones, as potential enemies, as an existential danger. They are not getting to that conclusion by themselves. It is the outcome of a very uh, uh, deep indoctrination, uh, educational system. Uh, and it is uh, sustained by the media. I mean, you, you just have to hear uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's language when he talks about uh, the Palestinians. People think that this is a new language because of what happens on the 7th of October, but this is because people have very short memory. He spoke the same way uh, throughout his career as a prime minister, and you probably remember yourself, prime minister begging and the way he talked about Arafat uh, in 1982 during the Israeli invasion of Lebanon when he compared Arafat to Hitler in the bunker. So I'm afraid that this is not unique to the particular uh, uh, catastrophe that we are witnessing uh, today, it's a more structural uh, Israeli Jewish perception, I would say racist perception of the Palestinians as subhumans or infrahuman, as some of our good friends like Zizek 
uh, likes uh, uh, to refer to, or Agamben, Agamben as well. And some might say that that lack of compassion is reflected, of course, in uh, London, Berlin, and notably Washington, uh, not wanting a cease fire. Do you think that many Jews in what was Palestine understand that the biblical prophecy adhered to by the American Christian right, from which uh, American politicians get their uh, voters from, they end up uh, believing in Judeo-side on the Day of Judgment. Do you think they understand that? that that's a very good point. Uh, I, I remember the, the early uh, um, honeymoon between Benjamin Netanyahu when he was still uh, uh, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. He started in 1992 as this serious connection with the, the Christian Zionists. And um, he was asked about these, uh, you know, the, the fine letters in the contract, namely that Jews would be either barbecued in hell or, or converted to Christianity in this uh, divine scenario of the end of, of time. Uh, and he, he said that doesn't matter now. What matters is that now we have genuine allies. Uh, and I think that's how the Israelis treat it. But most Israelis, I would say, are unaware, of course, of this. And they just uh, are very ignorant. They don't know very much. And their media feeds them that kind of narrative and historical knowledge, which fits the ideology and the propaganda rather than allows them to be uh, critical thinkers and, uh, and take a more independent position towards the reality. So given what we've been seeing in recent weeks, are we seeing the beginning of the end, or could we be seeing the end of the Israel project? It's a very good question. I, I think that uh, uh, the internal Israeli war that uh, kind of raged before the 7th of October between what I called the state of Judea, namely the state of the settlers, messianic, theocratic, fundamentalist, and the state of Israel, the most secular, um, kind of multicultural version of Israeli apartheid. We're fighting each other uh, for the future. I think this, uh, uh, despite the fact that it has stopped, of course, because of the war, will be resumed very soon. I already can see the indication for it uh, erupting again. This implosion from within, I think, uh, indicates or is a precursor uh, uh, for the beginning of the end, or, or the end of, of the beginning, if you want. Uh, but uh, I do warn you and, and, you, and the viewer, uh, as an historian, uh, these processes which we term as beginning of an end can be quite long in our lifetime. Uh, and more important, uh, they are quite vicious and fierce. Uh, we remember the last days of uh, apartheid South Africa, and, and some other uh, regimes like that. And, and therefore, uh, yes, I do think that the, the whole validity of this project is not uh, holding water. And uh, as Gidon Levy, the, bra the brave uh, Israeli journalist said in Haaretz, it seems that we are going towards only two options. And I agree with him, either a new Nakba, and this is unfolding in front of our eyes as we speak, or a one democratic state uh, for all. I still hope, and I have to be, I'm an activist as well as an historian, I have to be optimist, that despite the, the unfolding of the first option, uh, maybe with international and regional intervention, 
we might build the basis for the second option. There's no third option. The, the present reality will not stay forever. So it's either a total catastrophe or hopefully building a very different future for both Palestinians and Jews in the historical land of Palestine. But of course, accompanying all of this, uh, these uh, warships and perhaps one of the largest NATO nation armadas in history in the eastern Mediterranean. The former Secretary General of the Arab League, Amr Musa, on Saturday's show smiled when I asked, why is it everyone keeps invoking Iran when it comes to Hamas, a Sunni organization that supported it some guys as the U.S. policy in Syria trying to overthrow uh, President Assad? How successfully uh, is how successful is the media and Netanyahu and Joe Biden and European leaders in trying to make out that this is somehow to do with Iran, the October 7th attack? Yes, I think we have here a battle of narratives and we have something that I call the, the battle of the pretext with the context. And namely, people use the 7th of October as a pretext to implement policies that they were unable to implement in full before. Let's take the Americans. The Americans used the, the, the events of the 7th of October as a pretext to resent or, or reassert military presence in, in the area uh, and to try and win back some of the hegemony they have lost uh, due to their uh, failed policies after uh, 2001. Uh, uh, Israeli leaders used the uh, events as a pretext to implement massive ethnic cleansing, which they could not uh, implement during a time of no war. I don't call it time of peace because there was no peace, but at least in time of no war, Israel is, is fully aware that during a war you can do much more in terms of mass expulsions than you can do uh, uh, during the time of no war. So yes, I, I do think that this is one battle of narrative. The other one is, of course, to, to build this story that Iran is behind everything, like uh, an octopus that sends all its, uh, you know, uh, uh, or whatever you call them, hands uh, into into or things into into various areas, instead of you know listening to the Secretary General of the United Nations, who who would say Hamas doesn't need Iran, Palestinians don't need Iran uh, uh, to resist. Uh, throughout the uh, years of occupation, colonization, and oppression uh, against the Israelis. There's no need for any power from the outside, whether regional or international, to tell a colonized people who are exposed to ethnic cleansing and now genocidal policies, they don't need someone from the outside to tell them to try and resist uh, and to cry to the world, stop, and stop this uh, colonization and oppression. Uh, it's quite incredible how some intelligent people in the West are repeating this uh, uh, narrative uh, which comes out of Hollywood, but has nothing to do uh, with the reality on the ground. Anyone who knows the Palestinian struggle from the very beginning knows that Christians and Muslims are involved in it, that it has a very strong left uh, uh, side to it as well, that it relies on uh, uh, Russia, China, uh, and Iran, and Brazil, and, and other countries who are willing to challenge American hegemony. Uh, I mean, this is a typical third world anti-colonialist struggle that just in terms of periodization is outside the 
conventional framework of most of the anti-colonial and successful struggles that happened probably between the 1970s until the end of the last century. But this is an ongoing struggle that belongs to that period. It just didn't materialize yet. I know there's a picture on social media of Che Guevara in, in Gaza doing the rounds. And of course, Luis Arce, who we interviewed on this uh, show, the president of Bolivia uh, has uh, severed uh, diplomatic relations with Israel. We saw Colombia acting, and as you say, Brazil, China, Russia, all these different voices, quietly confident that the Arab world doesn't really matter when it comes to what's happening in Gaza, regardless of apparently a summit in Saudi Arabia on Saturday. They don't really uh, have any impact into uh, what happens to uh, Palestinians and all the thousands of children being killed. Yes, but uh, it's a very risky position by the Arab uh, regimes, because unlike the regimes themselves, the societies are very pro-Palestinians, still uh, regard Palestine as a symbol for the uh, struggle of the Arab world altogether to be uh, liberated, to thrive, and to progress. Uh, so uh, going in such a, a clear way against their wishes of most of the people who live in the in these Arab countries can can be very dangerous uh, in, in the future. I think it's not a, a, a coincidence that during uh, the so-called Arab Spring, uh, so many of the demonstrators uh, donned themselves with the Palestinian uh, flag. I think there is a kind of uh, an understanding uh, that uh, there is a, a very complex reality here. You have some regimes that are far more committed to the struggle on the side of the Palestinians, like the Syrian one. Uh, and at the same time, they also have their own issues of human rights and civil rights that the Arab world wants, wants to solve, which gives you a very clear indication that without a just solution for the Palestine question, the Arab world will not be able to deal with issues of human rights and civil rights, release itself from the grip of American imperialism, and build itself as an independent uh, uh, and important uh, actor uh, in international uh, relations. Professor Ilan Papa, I'll stop you there. More from the director of the European Center for Palestinian Studies at the University of Exeter after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with the renowned historian and author of The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine, Professor Ilan Pape. Well, we were talking about instability in uh, this region, but of course, it becomes increasingly clear that in the same NATO countries arming the alleged genocide in Gaza, there seems to be a degree of instability given that British politicians are considering banning the Palestinian flag in, uh, in Britain. Uh, shockingly, obviously, the United States wouldn't do that. They have a, they have a First Amendment. What makes this conflict and, and, as I say, alleged genocide occurring now so different in terms of blowback when it comes to uh, uh, civic society in the United States and Western Europe? I think that uh, uh, it is important to state from the very beginning that as horrific as this event is, it doesn't. It's not a game changer. It's it's uh, uh, what, however, the uh, events in Gaza will unfold. Uh, Israel would still be an apartheid state. Zionism would still be a settler colonial state, and the Palestinians would still be a colonized people 
struggling with very little regional and international help to try and win their uh, liberation, independence, and freedom. So, so I think that uh, it, it, when you, you view it from that perspective, you, you can see that uh, there is there may be a, ch a change in the level of support of the civil society. Maybe it's even more. Maybe it's higher than it was. And there, uh, and exactly the the mirror image of it. There is even less tolerant by the governments in the West to allow freedom of speech. Uh, on Palestine. I think all this would, fortunately or unfortunately, depends how you look at it, go back to its uh, previous levels. Namely, I'm afraid that the levels of solidarity and support for the Palestinians would not be the same after the events in Gaza, again, however they would end. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm quite sure that the uh, draconian measures that the British government, for example, is taking may not really stay uh, uh, in place. Uh, so that it really shows us that as activists, especially in the solidarity movement, we should think about uh, this as a chapter uh, and not as a, as, a, as an event out, out of context. And, and everything we faced as challenges, and the biggest challenge we have, at least in the global north and in the West, is the, a civil society that is very pro-Palestinian, and yet unable until today to have any significant influence on the policies of the governments towards Palestine. Uh, this is, the, for me, the main issue. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm less disturbed, although it, I'm outraged, of course, when President Biden uh, tries to explain why he does not support the Chinese and Russian call for uh, a ceasefire, which is the most normal and, and, and uh, right thing uh, to do. Uh, I don't think how, how they can sleep at night knowing what it means not to uh, call for a ceasefire. But all in all, I don't think that this is that different from their policies in the future, in the past. And I'm afraid this will be also their policies uh, in the future. I, the, my only hope is that somehow the civil societies, the solidarity movement, maybe the Muslim world, maybe the Arab world, uh, would step, upgrade, call it what you want, the solidarity with the Palestinians and make it much and much more effective factor in changing the reality on the ground, not just in order to stop the genocide in Gaza, but also to uh, change the reality. Because as you probably know, more than 100 Palestinians were killed since the beginning of the 7th of October in the West Bank. Thousands have been arrested without a trial, and the Palestinian citizens in Israel are being harassed daily uh, uh, by the police and, and uh, Jewish citizens. So. We have here uh, a situation where all the Palestinians, all of historical Palestine, need urgently the international community and the region to intervene because the imbalance of power at this moment in history is against them. Or is there a change because as per events of the UN Security Council after the UAE-backed resolution, it is now okay, according to London, Berlin, uh, Washington, uh, that that killing children in vast numbers on the basis of their ethnicity is okay now as per self-defense. That's now been established. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm even willing to give them some sort of uh, 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 margin of, of doubt that uh, they do not fully understand and I'm talking about the, the leaders, 
what uh, their message of support to Israel or how their message to support in, uh, to Israel is understood by the Israelis. And I'm talking about the society and the political leadership alike. It is these messages, you know, if you don't parliament house with the Israeli uh, colors of the Israeli flag or the, the, the Eiffel Tower with the colors of the Israeli flag, Israelis understand it as a message which says, we absolve you from all the things you have done until the 7th of October, and you have now a free license to do whatever you want, regardless of international law and the law of wars uh, in, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, I'm not sure every American and every uh, British uh, policy makers uh, uh, is, is, uh, this is the kind of message they wanted Israel uh, to have. I still hope some of them have a modicum of humanity in them. Uh, but what we know from the history of the Zionist lobby in America and in Britain, even if they would have now doubts whether they took the right decision by giving Israel this carte blanche, they would be very timid uh, and, and careful not to uh, challenge the Israeli lobby in their countries uh, and, and be uh, you know exposed to allegations of anti-Semitism and so on. So it's, it's a situation where they are in a rabbit hole that they themselves put themselves in it. Uh, uh, and this is on the assumption that at least some of them are not as, as callous as you have just described them, you know, uh, totally indifferent to, to the images and, and, uh, and, the, and the reports we are getting uh, on an hourly basis uh, from the Gaza Strip. Well, they were proud about the few trucks coming across the Rafa crossing, uh, of course. And uh, for all the uh, international isolation of uh, these NATO powers as regards what's happening, why do you think Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, these administrations, feel it so necessary to talk about a two-state solution after all the work you've done, after all the work so many scholars have done, to explain why only a one-state solution will solve this question? Well, it's interesting you say that I, I, I spent a very uh, excellent two weeks in China in the beginning of this month uh, teaching in Chinese universities. I also met a few uh, diplomats from the Chinese uh, foreign ministry. And I put that question to them uh, as well. And I think the... Um, uh, the mission that the, both uh, the Russian Foreign Ministry and the Chinese Foreign Ministry feel that they have now is to at least challenge the new discourse that the West is putting that what matters now is to allow Israel to uh, implement its, its destructive uh, policies and only pay a lip service uh, to a solution uh, in the future. So in a way, uh, it is, I hope, it is just an indicator that these two uh, powers, these two global powers, might be more involved in the future and are still learning uh, what should be their original position. Because I think also China, China and Russia, until recently, you know, if you think about the Russian participation in the quartet before, uh, we're allowing the West and especially the United States to be the main mediator, uh, a, a very dishonest broker, but to be the main broker. If they want to replace it with maybe other countries like Brazil and South Africa uh, as brokers, probably they would have to study again the origins of the conflict, the essence of the conflict, 
And hopefully they would understand that uh, the two-state solution is not viable anymore. And if there is an international pressure, it should be towards a different kind of political solution. Of course, given this discussion between us, I would appall any member of Netanyahu's cabinet, let alone the left-wing, so-called left-wing uh, Israelis. How desperate could uh, Israel, and I mean, Netanyahu could, of course, go to jail anyway after this current uh, killing, but uh, how, how desperate could uh, Israeli elites get? What is the nuclear weapon threat uh, in Israel? Um, I think that so far, I, I really cannot predict. Uh, I, I can only t tell you what I think happened so far. Uh, the Israeli uh, elite is made of two main uh, components. One, one is the political one, and the other one is the security organization, which includes the army, the Mossad, the Secret Service, uh, uh, and so on. Until today, uh, the politicians were contained and limited in their actions against Iran by the people who came from the security. Uh, a pillar, so to speak. Uh, however, there is a demographic change in those institutions, and quite a lot of people who come from the settlements are now beginning to climb up in the echelons also of the security services. So I don't know uh, uh, how long this uh, more, I would call it more pragmatic, you know, even more rational, I'm willing to give it to them, more rational approach towards Iran or the use of nuclear weapons, how long will it be sustained if um, if uh, my fear, which uh, would become true, that the demographics of that particular military and security elite will change uh, with time. Uh, by the way, this this uh, elite does not help the Palestinians. You obviously can see it. They all they totally agree with the politicians about the 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 destruction of of the palestinians and genocidal policies and ethnic cleansing policies but when it comes to regional war i think they're a bit more cautious than the uh, right-wing politicians so we have to watch and see whether this balance of power is changing in order to fully answer your uh uh, uh right uh, and, and, and important question professor ilan pabe thank you thank you very much and that's it for the show and condolences from the whole team here at Going Underground to those bereaved by the ongoing violence here in the Middle East. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Saturday. Until then, keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country and head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday.